You know, I, I want everyone to love me. I like, I want to be popular, but not at the expense of revival. And that's why I'll always preach what the Spirit of God puts on my heart. I'm not looking to build a fan club. I'm looking to build men and women who are called by the Holy Spirit and will obey the Holy Spirit and clean up their lives and live right before God. How can we live with sin in our lives and have the Holy Spirit in fellowship with us? I'm not saying you're going to live a perfect life. I don't. But I'm very quick, the moment I do something wrong, to get right with God and ask the Holy Spirit to help me do better next time. Okay. This nation, I cannot overemphasize it. I know I've been saying it a lot over the last few months. This nation needs the church of Jesus Christ to be everything the church was in the New Testament. And the only way we will be that is if we start to mimic, and not mimic as in a fake way, but we start to copy the principles and the patterns of the New Testament church. We are living in a day where it will be all or nothing. I'm telling you, I am telling you, Pastor Jan, you'll bear witness to this before COVID hit in our prayer meetings. And I like being a positive person. And prayer meeting after prayer meeting, I kept coming out with a heaviness in my soul, in my heart. And I, I started to voice, I have a feeling bad things are ahead. Bad things are ahead. That's before COVID hit. Only maybe a couple of months before COVID hit. And while everyone else was excited, in my heart, I was grieved and I felt the heaviness. I never said it from the platform because I don't want to be Mr. Negativity. We always want to be positive. You know, everybody turns to the TV evangelist that's got the biggest smile and tells us everything we want to hear. Oh, good. This is one time I'm glad you didn't agree with me. So you don't. You just want the truth between your eyes, right? Amen. Amen. You know, mark it down. Mark the space where this was just recorded. This is one time a no amen was greeted with an amen from the pastor. <laughs> but I felt very strongly in my heart. And then we came into COVID and we came into more and more crisis within our nation, anarchy in the streets. Let's make the record clear. Every life matters. Black lives matter. And I'm going to put it there. Get upset with me if you want. Now you have to repent before the Holy Ghost. Unborn lives matter. Amen. Every life matters. Amen. Brown, white, blue, green, I don't care. Now we're talking about hair colors. Blue, green, <laughs> purple rinse. Every life matters. Old lives matter. Young life. I didn't get enough amens. Thank you. You're a young person. And you gave me an amen. God bless you. I didn't get enough amens on old lives matter. Well, 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 I didn't ask for a clap. I asked for an amen. Old lives matter. I've been having to do a lot of renovation on my house. And uh, I've started to realize that while my head isn't old, my knees are old. My back is old. It's not as young as it used to be. 
If we're going to stay scriptural, God so loved the world. All lives matter. End of story. I think prejudice needs to end everywhere. And the best place for it to start is in the church. I love the fact this is a multicultural church and I never want it to be anything but a multicultural church. Because it is one of the first signs that there is no division. Amen. I welcome every culture, every color. But let's keep politics to the side and let's keep Jesus to the forefront. Well, I already shared my opening uh, verse. My title is Repentance and Prayer. I, I, I don't know how we could have matched things up more than what the Holy Spirit has already matched things up. Repentance and Prayer. This is still part of a series called Are You Building a Memorial? You see, if you study the annals of Christian history, you will read story after story after story of great revivals from the New Hebrides, the islands of the New Hebrides, to continents, Europe, to uh, uh, continents in uh, the United States of America, north and south. You will read stories of great revivals that change society. I will trade church growth for a genuine Holy Ghost revival any day. Because you could have church growth without the principles of the Word of God. But you cannot have a move of the Holy Spirit without the principles of the Word of God. Huge difference. Huge difference. Church growth can build just an organization, but a Holy Ghost move breaks down denominational lines and brings everyone into unity. Amen. Acts 3.19 Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I like the term wiped out. Totally obliterated. We use that term in a secular sense. Ah, he just, this team wiped that team out. I like the thought that God will wipe out my sins. I don't want him to just wipe out the list of sins. I want him to wipe out the power of sin. Can I get an agreement? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, <clears throat> John the Baptist had sent his disciples to ask Jesus. He's about to get beheaded. Je uh, not Jesus, John the Baptist. And he sends his disciples, and I guess for one moment, he starts to think like a mere mortal man. And he starts to question, everything I've done for this one moment, I've preached repentance everywhere to the point where I even stood up to Herod. And now his girlfriends, his brother's wife that Herod is sleeping with, her daughter wants my head, and Herod's going to give it to her. Did I waste my time? Is this really the Christ? And he sends his disciples to seek out Jesus and to come back to him and visit him in the prison with an answer. 
And they went to Jesus and they said, John wants to know, are you really the one? And Jesus said, tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk. When God is amongst us, the miraculous of God becomes our normal. When God is amongst us, the miraculous or the supernatural of God becomes our normal. Jesus then went on to say about John the Baptist, he spoke about him. He says, there's never been a, a, a man greater than him, and yet anyone who is in the kingdom of God is greater than him. We have prophets in the Old Testament who raised the dead, prophets who faced uh, the prophets of Baal, 400 to 1, and, and God wiped out the prophets of Baal. And yet, John the Baptist never raised the dead. We have no record of him ever bringing healing to one sick body. All we know about John the Baptist was that he ate locusts and honey, dressed in camel skins and stayed out in the desert and didn't associate so much with people, but he just stayed in the presence of God. He lived an inconvenient life so that others may be convenienced by the Holy Spirit. I never thought of that before. I think that's a good saying. He lived an inconvenient life so that others could be convenienced by the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus said of him in Matthew 11, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist, stop. He's about to talk about the fact that the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. I love this scripture. Because it shows how God wants to bring mere humanity to the forefront and how he wants to use earthen vessels and cause them to play a phenomenal role in the history of humanity. What am I saying? From the days of John the Baptist until right now, his disciples had just come to him. He's about to get beheaded probably in the next day or so. From the days of John the Baptist until right now, the kingdom of God, of heaven, has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. Now, in the English, this isn't a brilliant translation. The word violence, the kingdom of God has been suffering violence, is biazzo, which properly means to use force, power, to forcibly seize, laying hold of something with positive aggressiveness. This is not violence like we see in the streets. This is not violence like we see in terrorism. To advance forcefully. It is only used twice in the New Testament. Both times it is used speaking of a positive aggressiveness. In other words, a determination, a positive forcefulness. And Jesus said, since the days of John the Baptist, from when John the Baptist started his ministry until now, the moment he's about to lose his life inconveniently, the kingdom of God has been forcefully, righteously, powerfully, with right motives, it has been advancing. It has been moving forward. And violent people... And this is from the same Biazzo root, 
the word violent, violent people, 973. It's up on the screen. Biastes means positive assertiveness used of the believer living in faith. God's inworked persuasion, conviction in your heart, guiding and empower them to act forcefully, not rudely, not rebelliously, not contemptuously, not arrogantly, but a spiritual forcefulness. I think there needs to come to the church in the United States of America this type of an attitude. We have an attitude when it comes to politics. We need to have an attitude when it comes to prayer. We need to have an attitude when it comes to righteous living. We need to have an attitude when it comes to fighting for our brothers in the spirit, not against flesh and blood or with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. Can I get an agreement? And so this word, it says, fired up by God to act by his revelation. It is only used in Matthew eleven twelve. So Jesus is talking for a moment about John the Baptist, this guy who everywhere he went, he preached an unpopular message. Repent, get your life right. Come on, there's sin. Stop hiding your sin, God sees it. The sin you're hiding is the sin that is openly keeping you from the blessing of God. The sin we hide is the sin that will openly keep us from the blessing of God. Let me tell you, that kind of preaching doesn't make a man popular. But something happened in the spirit world. As religious and as distorted as the... the, Uh, religious world was at that time something was breaking in the heavens and the Bible says not only men and women came out of their towns and their cities and were baptized by John it even says that many Pharisees got baptized by John Jesus said there's never been a greater one because more than bringing healing he changed the spiritual climate of a nation that's what revival does I'm going to read to you some of the effects of revival from the Welsh revival. And they are things that are absolutely impossible. They are unimaginable unless it is the divine intervention of God. You've heard me say many times that revival is like a reset button. When there is a genuine move of God's spirit, it brings society back to a a, a balanced normal, a healthy normal. It takes society from the edge of a cliff about to fall off with craziness and absurdity and brings them back to a sense of reality and healthiness. And Jesus said, since the times of John the Baptist until now, you see what I love about this verse is that Jesus pinpointed revival to a man He pinpointed revival to a time, and he pinpointed revival to a place. Jesus said the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. The spirit world has been changing because John the Baptist has been calling this nation to repentance. Listen, if we understand principles, spiritual principles, 
God builds his, the foundation of his throne on righteousness and justice. Every form of prejudice, every form of uh, a distaste for another human being is an act of injustice in God's economy. What government are you living in? Because in the government of God, you don't have the right to look at a white man or a brown man or a black man or a yellow man any differently than you would look at Jesus Christ. The, the government of God is built on righteousness and justice. And the whole reason why repentance was such a powerful thing uh, and God used John the Baptist to preach nothing but repentance. He didn't preach five steps to have uh, uh, the irrevocable blessing of God on your life. He didn't preach three steps to success and financial breakthrough. No, he preached something mundane, something boring, and something that got in people's faces. You know what he preached? He preached the simple truth. The more we get our lives right with God, the more our lives will be right. And the reason why the message of repentance is so powerful to revival is because if God builds his throne on righteousness and justice, and demons build their throne on unrighteousness and injustice, then when we repent of our sin, we are causing the strongholds of darkness to collapse from within and the footholds they had in us and the strongholds they have on us start to break and they lose their power and now the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who keeps himself from unrighteousness starts to fill the atmosphere. You don't just hear from the radio. You don't just hear from the wavelengths of the internet. You don't just hear from cable TV. You hear from a spirit world that is filled with unrighteous belief systems. And when the church of Jesus Christ starts to repent of its own sin and starts to monitor its own heart attitudes... It's like every Christian becomes a lawyer and we want a lawyer with the Holy Ghost why we can get away with this. And we'll even try to use scripture to justify it. Well, I'm under grace. I want to be under conviction so I could cry out for God's grace. The grace of God only follows the conviction of God. And when you hear people using grace, grace, grace like a magic eraser, uh, they don't call them magic erasers here, do they? You do? Magic erasers? No, grace follows Mr. Clean, that's it. Grace, <laughs> Mr. Clean will bring the grace of God when the conviction of God brings us to a place of repentance. I, I want you to understand the spiritual principles of what I'm sharing today. In the Psalms, over and over again, and all through the Old Testament, I can prove it to you, that's not today's message, 
Those of you that have been with me for a while, you know I've shown you oodles of Scripture. The foundation of God's throne is built on righteousness and justice. Everything about the kingdom of darkness is the opposite to the kingdom of light. There you go. There's an opposite. His is the kingdom of light. His is the kingdom of darkness. His is the kingdom of love. His is the kingdom of hate. His is the kingdom of life. His is the kingdom of death. Always opposites. So if God builds his throne on righteousness and justice, why do you think demons are forever get, trying to promote you to watch something you shouldn't watch or go somewhere you shouldn't go or do something you shouldn't do? Why do you think temptation is such an issue to demons to provoke you to do what is wrong? Why? Because if you step away from righteousness and you bow to what, is, what you know is wrong, you give them an open door and you give them a foundation to establish a throne. That's why repentance is so powerful. When a people start to genuinely repent, you are rattling the cage. You are rattling and shaking the foundation of demonic entities. And so when a, a church could be in revival, but when it starts to slip into sin, if it doesn't repent, it will go headlong in the wrong direction that it started to go in, and it'll break up because the kingdom of darkness will make sure that anything that was good about it will be broken up. And if we're going to see a move of God, we need to let our hard hearts be broken up so that... The strongholds of darkness don't have a foundation of sin in us. And we start to cry out in repentance so that we will see the grace of God and the refreshing that comes from the Holy Spirit. That scripture promises that when you repent, God will wipe out your sins. But it goes on to say, and then the refreshing of the Holy Spirit will come. That's revival. That's being revived. That's new life. It's like the spring rains. Hallelujah. It's the desert coming alive. America as a nation needs the church of America to get right with God and to get its heart in the right place. We boast and brag about things that don't impress God. It's not numbers that impresses God. There are millions going to hell It doesn't impress God. Numbers are never a majority in God's economy. But repentance and humility is always a majority in God's economy. Hang on a second. I only got maybe 10 people. And what the Holy Spirit just said was worth more than just 10 people. God's not impressed by numbers. We only want to hear from the preachers who have got mega congregations. You can have mega, and I'm not preaching against big churches. Because when revival hits, we'll all be big. But you can build an organization without building the principles of God into that organization. But you cannot have a move of God without the principles of God. Are you hearing me? Yeah, absolutely.
I'm going to stop preaching in a sense and, and, and read to you a little bit so that we can have a picture of what revival does and what revival looks like. I don't know that there'd be very few of us who in our lifetime have ever seen a national revival, the magnitude of which I'm talking about and the magnitude of which is coming. I believe it's coming. I just want to be one of the one of the many who helped make it come. There was a revival in, in Wales in 1904. Now, Wales has had many revivals. It, it, it actually got the nickname, the Land of Revivals. But this was a revival that was beyond other revivals. It had a world impact. So let me describe to you a little bit about what a revival looks like. Some of the things I'm going to read to you are from newspaper reports. They're quite amazing. Secular men were sent to Wells to record everything that was happening because it was so controversial and so different. So this Welsh revival started in 1904 and it was responsible for at least another 30 revivals happening around the world. This revival lasted for 10 years, all the way up to, sorry, uh, all the way up to 1910, the revival in Wales. A young man named Evan Roberts kept crying out to God for a move of the Holy Spirit. He was dissatisfied with the status of the church in his nation. People had become dull towards the things of God and sin, iniquity was uh, climbing and the church was getting cold. And he had four points. Confess all known sin, point one. Number two, deal with and get rid of anything doubtful in your life. Number two, that's number two. Number three, be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. He tells you to witness to someone witness. He tells you, don't turn that on, don't turn it on. Don't go in there, don't go in there. Number four, confess Christ publicly. So here are some reports. Whole communities were turned upside down and were radically changed from depravity to glorious goodness. What does that look like? What does that mean? The crime rate dropped often to nothing. The police force reported that they had little more to do than supervise the coming and going of the people to the chapel prayer meetings. While magistrates, judges, turned up at the courts to discover no cases to try. There's an increase of crime. Every kind of crime. America needs revival. America needs revival. The rate of rape is up. The rate of murders are up. Man's inhumanity to man makes millions mourn. The police were given the responsibility to escort or take care of the traffic for the prayer meetings that were happening every day of the week. The alcohol trade was decimated as people were caught up more by what happened in the local chapels than in the local Public houses, that's an English term for pubs or bars. Public houses and bars. 
Families experienced amazing renewal where the money-earning husband and father, the breadwinner, had wasted away the income and sowed discord. Now, under the moving of the power of the Holy Spirit, following the conversion to be a follower of Christ, he not only provided correctly for family needs, but was now with the family rather than wasting his time and wages in the public houses of the village or town. Souls were saved, individual lives were changed, and society itself was changed. Countless numbers were converted to Jesus Christ. Public houses were now almost empty. Men in, uh, I read that. Men whose language had been filthy before learned to talk purely. It's not related that not only did the colliers, the colliers were the people who worked in the mines, put in a better day's work, but also the pit ponies were so used to being cursed at. So back in 1904, they had pit ponies who worked in the, in, in, in the uh, caves where they dug out the coal. The pit ponies were so used to this blasphemous swearing language that when these men gave commands, they understood. Everything came with an effing this and a etc., etc. Now these men were converted and their language had changed so much, the pit ponies would just stay still when commands were given because they didn't recognize any of the swear words. This is a fact. This is history. Okay, it's comical, but it's true. The pit ponies were so used to being cursed and sworn at that they just couldn't understand orders being, being given in clean, kind words. Yet still the work output increased. The dark tunnels and underground in the mines echoed with the sounds of prayers and hymns instead of oaths and nasty jokes and gossip. People who had been careless about paying their bills or paying back money they had borrowed paid up all they owed. People who had fallen out became friends again. There are men and women still in the churches today whose parents or grandparents' testimonies were that they were converted in the revival in 1904 or 1905. Not only were individual lives changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, but whole communities were changed Indeed, society itself was changed. Wales, again, was a God-fearing nation. How many of you think we need a lot of that in the United States? I'm going to read you an excerpt taken from a book entitled, I Saw the Welsh Revival by David Matthews. And I'm reading a short excerpt from chapter 10. This revival so dramatically affected the nation of Wales, affected the, the moral status, the courthouses, the police's work, etc., etc., that it spread around the world. And uh, uh, David Matthews writes, eminent Bible teachers. Now, this is not someone writing historically. He wrote this in the midst of the revival. He himself got touched by the revival and later became a preacher. Eminent Bible teachers, well-known pastors from Russia and Germany and world-known evangelists came to see the fire. Missionaries from the earth's darkest regions, India, China, Africa, Egypt, attended and watched with wistful eyes hoping to catch the flame before their return to difficult, lonely posts 
Christian workers from the slums of the big dark cities who had borne the burden of disappointed hopes with gallant chivalry for years came to see. They hoped that they would receive a baptism of power that would send them back to their drab spheres with a new buoyancy. Here's another excerpt from chapter 11. Trainloads seemed to come from anywhere and everywhere, hobnobbing, rubbing shoulders with, and better still, sitting beside Indians, Chinese, Japanese, Germans, French, and Russians in a spirit of worship. It was certainly a unique experience in a small Welsh village like Glyneth. This is just one incident. During 1904, during that period, Russia was at war with Japan. And one of the headlines, one of the reporters who came to this revival saw a Japanese man who only spoke Japanese and a Russian man, and both of them had tears running down their face with their arms up in the air worshiping the Lord. And so the headlines in the newspaper says, while Russia and Japan are at war in Wales, they are praying together. <laughs> Amen. Um, it, it goes on to say, uh, they came together in a spirit of worship. It was certainly a unique experience in a small town. Why had they come from such distances? To reach uh, these somewhat obscure hamlets was not easy, for they were off the main line of travel, changing lines, changing trains, consulting timetables, seemed to entail no end of hardship. Lingual difficulties were completely absorbed in the pursuit of spiritual blessing. Another excerpt from chapter 12, a quotation from a highly reputed daily, that means a, a daily paper, the South Wales Daily News, honored throughout Wales became, because of its undoubted sincerity and truthfulness in its description of the revival, wouldn't that be great to have today? We'd have revival if you could trust any media outlet. And I'm not having a shot at the left or the right. I'm having a shot at all of them. All right. We'll save that for another day. Didn't get too much response. Uh, so the South Wales Daily News said infidels were converted, drunkards, thieves, and gamblers saved. And many thousands reclaimed to respectability and honored citizenship. Confessions of awful sins were heard on every side and everywhere. Old debts were remembered and paid. Theaters and public houses in distress for lack of patronage. Several police courts had clean sheets and were idle. In five weeks, in the first five weeks, 20,000 conversions were recorded. At a later date, the number was presumed to be no less than 50,000, and in eight months, following the outbreak of the revival, 150,000 had made application for church membership. The impact of the Welsh revival can be seen in this regard. According to one historian, as much as 10 years after the revival, 82.5% of those who attended them were still members of churches. J. Gwynford Jones writes reflections on the religious revival in Wales, and this is what uh, the writer says. The revival lasted less than a year, 
But in that time, 100,000 people were converted. The movement spread to Scotland, England, with estimates that a million people were converted in Britain. Missionaries subsequently carried the movement abroad. It was especially influential on the Pentecostal movement emerging in California. How many of you here have ever heard of Azusa Street? Okay. A great revival that took place in California. This happened just a few years before the Azusa Street revival. People were coming from America. They were coming from around the world to catch this fire. And it wasn't just a matter of seeing it. People would go home with a new anointing on their lives and revivals would break out. They would break out all over the place. And um, <clears throat> this happened and was part of what was happening in Asusu Street. What's interesting is that Evan Roberts, while there's no record that he ever actually spoke in tongues, he kept praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he was seeing visions and telling people what he saw. In fact, the revival started because he saw a vision of whales being lifted up to heaven, and God said, will you believe for 100,000 souls? And he said yes, and he had been living a life of intercession. And as you saw, more than 150,000 got saved just in that nation. But the impact in Great Britain alone, they estimate that well over a million people had been saved by the power of the move of God that was coming. Listen. You may never have experienced a revival of this magnitude. It doesn't change the fact that history books, not the ones you read in school, are filled with stories of phenomenal revivals. I'm beyond church growth. Church growth isn't the answer. We got churches that have, and again, I'm not speaking against large churches. I pray that through the spirit of revival, this becomes a church of thousands, but through the spirit of revival. But, you know, we can have churches with 10, 15,000 people, and sin is still rampant in the lives of the individuals. And let me also add, that doesn't mean that if you're a small church, sin isn't rampant. That's why I started this message with Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent. Turn from. Don't just feel sorry about it. Don't just feel guilty for a moment. Repent means to turn the opposite direction. Turn from sin. And God will wipe out your sins. And he will send the refreshing. I believe since Jesus said the church is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I believe that the church needs to take responsibility for where America is at. One side wants to blame the Democrats and the other side wants to blame the Republicans. Don't even go there. If we're going to be honest and we're going to stick to the word of God, the problem is the church isn't what the church is meant to be. That's the bottom line. And we need to cry out to God and be big enough, grown up enough, mature enough that we're not going to take offense, but we will take accountability. If every person who took offense actually took accountability, there would be no offense. That's right. 
We need to grow up. We need to mature. We need to become men and women. We need to have a bit of integrity, a bit of character, a bit of backbone. Where is all that gone? I don't care whether this makes me popular or not. All I care is that we get revival. We need to take accountability for where our nation is at. Stop pointing fingers. They did that in the Garden of Eden. Did that change anything? Eve blamed the serpent and, you know, uh, Adam blamed his wife. Cain blamed God right after the first murder took place. That's not going to get us anywhere. That's not going to change anything. And we can swap political parties in the White House till doomsday. I can assure you doomsday will come. What we need to do is swap our position for a position of humility and repentance and cry out to God for a visitation of his Holy Spirit. And if we, the church, become accountable, then God will add to our account the blessings of heaven. Amen. Don't lawyer up with the Holy Ghost and try to debate with him why you could still do what you're doing or why God will forgive you. In Titus chapter 2, Paul makes it very clear, and I'm going to close with this. He says, the grace that comes from God. Stop. I thought grace was a God thing. To everything that is genuine, there is a counterfeit. And the reason why Paul said the grace that comes from God is because there's a grace that is a counterfeit that comes from the kingdom of darkness. Now listen to the description of the grace that comes from God. The grace that comes from God teaches us to say no to all ungodliness. We think And today in the church, we've used grace as that magic eraser that will just cover every wrong thing we do and we will do it again tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow without ever taking accountability for our actions, without ever sitting ourselves down and giving ourselves time out and questioning our heart and our attitudes. God doesn't play games. He's not into mockery. He is the spirit of truth. And while you can lie to yourself, you will never get away with lying to God. And while you can dull your conscience and lie to your conscience, you will never convince the Holy Spirit. There is only one way we will gain favor with the Holy Spirit of God. And that is when we humble ourselves and take accountability. And where we're weak and where there's sin and maybe where there's a habitual habit, cry out in honesty and sincerity as a person of maturity and say, God, deliver me from this sin. Look, I'm not preaching condemnation. I'm not preaching condemnation. I don't want to beat you up. I want to get you right. You're not a failure. You're a child of God. But as children of God, there's something bigger and better inside of us And what has felled us in the past, in other words, what has chopped us down in the past, doesn't have to chop us down today or tomorrow. Amen. 
We're made of better stuff. We are not born again of a corruptible seed. We're born again of an incorruptible seed. And while I will undoubtedly make mistakes from this sermon forward, I trust that I'll be smart enough to quickly repent and know that God will give me grace when I use the word repentance in its honest meaning. To repent is to turn 180 degrees and go in the opposite direction. You cannot lawyer up to the Holy Ghost and try to negotiate a deal. There's only one deal, repent. Turn from wrongful, doubtful, skeptical things so that God will wipe away our sin. You know, Cain wanted to wipe away his sin with his own effort. And God said, sin is crouching at your door. You need to repent. Otherwise, it will master you. And I say the same thing today. Sin isn't an action. It's a spirit. And he wants you to party with him. And every time you're tempted, it is an invitation to sit down and party with a demonic spirit. We need to see it for what it is and say, Holy Spirit, come and purge me. Cleanse me. Baptize me afresh. Let the power of righteousness live in me so that the life of Christ will be seen through me. Can I get an amen? amen. Come on, let's stand. I'm glad to see so many of you in church today. As I was pulling in, I was spending time until the last moment with the Lord and even adjusting my notes. I noticed the parking lot more full than usual. And I thought, God, really? You're going to bring more people when I've got a heavy message? <laughs> but God knows what he planned me to say. And he brought you here. And you could be upset. Maybe you didn't hear what you wanted to hear. God knew and God brought you here. And I honestly believe that while all of you are beautiful people, we become even more beautiful. When we allow the Holy Spirit to really lead our lives, You're wonderful. He loves you, every one of you. He cares about you. He doesn't want to beat you up. That's not who God is. But he wants to clean us up so he can lift us up so that one day he'll take us up. Amen. America needs you. In times of war, World War II, they designed posters. Uncle Sam needs you. There is an eternal cry from the Spirit of God that says, God needs you to be who your destiny has designated you to be. I believe you are born again because God has a purpose for your life. You're born again because He loves you. 
but he has a purpose for your life. And the more we try to play childish games, the longer the enemy is chewing away our destiny. And the sooner we get honest and real and we get right, the sooner our destiny will start to shine through our lives. Amen. I want to tear down demonic strongholds. This city is somewhere in the top 10, I think even top 5, for sex trafficking of minors. That's the city I live in. You see, I believe God puts his sons to guard regions and to take back territory. And I believe that we will fight and gain greater victories in the spirit than we will on a political level. We, we, we can demonstrate and we can petition government and they can pass legislation, but that doesn't take sin out of the heart of men and women. And it doesn't take hurt out of the victims. But a move of God's Spirit will. A move of God's Spirit will. Now I'm calling on everyone. in as simple a way as you can to be honest with yourself and honest before God. The Holy Spirit will allow you to win an argument. Listen to me, everybody. The Holy Spirit comes to convict. He'll allow you to win an argument, but you will lose the debate. We could argue our way out of conviction. We need to pray our way into conviction. And as we do that, unless the whole Bible is a lie, if we do that, we will see a great move of God. And by the way, none of the Bible is a lie. It is the only absolute truth, and it is absolute truth. Father, I don't know how to win the hearts of men, but I want to win them to you. I don't know how to run a church, but it's your church. And I ask you, God, do what I can't get credit for. Work in our hearts in such a way that no one person will get credit but your Holy Spirit and you and your Son will get all the glory. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory and the honor. Holy Spirit, Work with us, work on us, work in us, and work through us. And stir our hearts for the only thing 
that'll bring salvation to America. Let the cry for revival and a cry of repentance be heard from our hearts. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Stay. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, it begins there. This isn't about joining a club. Christianity is not an institution. It's a relationship. It's not about what you were branded with from birth. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Baptist. Phooey. God doesn't brand cattle. God has relationship. You don't see farmers having a relationship with their cattle. They're just herd. They're livestock. They're just a means to an end. They're there for a profit. I love you today because I'll kill you tomorrow and sell you on the open market. God doesn't brand cattle. He has relationship. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've never asked Jesus in your heart today, you really need to do that. It's the best decision I've ever made. I've been to hell and back. I'm 63 years old. I've seen 63 years of living. I've counseled. I've consulted. I've seen it all. I've heard it all. The best decision I've ever made was when I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Every eye closed. If you want to ask Jesus into your heart, raise your hand right now. Come on. Every eye closed. Thank you. If you want to ask Jesus in your heart, if you need to be born again, if you're not sure if you're born again, just raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you one last question. If you want to be part of a great revival that could save America and save your city, put your hand up. Father, you hear us. See every hand and every heart. Now they have given you the right for you to convene upon them. Come, Holy Spirit, and bear witness with every man and woman. Use us to bring about a godly, holy revolution that will revive your church and revive this nation. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a shout. I want to hear a shout. Come on, shout. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I really do. And I thank God for a pastoral team that pray and intercede for you. Intercede with us. Intercede with us. And let's see the glory of God come down. Have an awesome week. God bless.